Hello, good morning and welcome. And as always, whoever you are, wherever you are, we are so glad that you have decided to take the time to gather with us on this, the fourth Sunday of the season of Easter, to worship. We are now some way into the 50 days of this season, a season when, as I've said before, the church, through the reading of scriptures, and of course, during normal times, the singing of joy-filled resurrection hymns and the praying of hopeful prayers, all of which testify to our shared and our common belief that Jesus is alive and that he is Lord of all. I don't know where you've been this week. I don't know what kind of week you've had. I hope it's been a good one. But whatever kind of week you had, know this, that wherever you were, whatever happened, whatever you experienced, good or bad, God was there. I'd like us to just stop in this moment and to listen to a psalm being read to us. It's an old favorite. It's a favorite, I think, because it speaks to our common human need for protection, for provision, and above all, for presence. It is, of course, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in fields of green grass and leads me to quiet pools of fresh water. He gives me new strength. He guides me in the right paths. Even if I go through the deepest darkness, I will not be afraid, Lord, for you are with me. Your shepherd's rod and staff protect me. You prepare a banquet for me where all my enemies can see me. You welcome me as an honoured guest and fill my cup to the brim. I know that your goodness and love will be with me all my life and your house will be my home as long as I live. Will you join me now as together we approach God in prayer? Lord God, you are our good shepherd. And as a shepherd gathers their flock, you have gathered us today, drawing us all into the shelter of your protection, into the blessing of your provision, into the comfort of your presence, to feed us, to refresh us, to restore us. Some of us have come before you this morning rejoicing because our path in the past week has led us through green pastures. You have filled our cup of happiness to overflowing. And we bring you our praise and our thanksgiving. Some of us come before you battered and bruised by a hard week of life because our path has led us through dark and frightening valleys. And we need to know your comforting presence, and the strength, your strength, restoring our souls. No doubt some of us, like foolish sheep, come before you ashamed because we have wandered astray instead of following you, and we come to ask and to seek your forgiveness. 
And so, Father, if we have followed the crowd doing as others did, forgetting that we have been pledged to follow Jesus, Good Shepherd, will you set us right? If we have chosen to do what we selfishly want rather than to act out of love for others and have found ourselves in difficulties and in sin, Good Shepherd, will you set us right? If we have been distracted and preoccupied with other voices, so much so that we have stopped listening to your voice, Good Shepherd, will you set us right? Speak your words of restoration and redemption to us all, Lord, so that each and all of us will know deep down in our hearts that we matter to you. No matter how far away we have strayed, we matter because you love us. And may each and all of us hear your voice afresh during our gathering today and throughout the gathering be drawn closer to you before we leave. We entrust ourselves and our loved ones and all those whom we know and care about into your hands for the week ahead. Grant us, God, the wisdom and the courage to follow you day by day in the coming week. All this we ask and pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now, friends, we're going to have a reading from Luke's Gospel. Kathy is going to read us about the story of the journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus and back to Jerusalem. On that same day, two of Jesus' followers were going to a village named Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking to each other about all the things that had happened. As they talked and discussed, Jesus himself drew near and walked along with them. They saw him, but somehow did not recognise him. Jesus said to them, What are you talking about to each other as you walk along? They stood still with sad faces. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have been happening there these last few days? What things, he asked. The things that happened to Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. This man was a prophet and was considered by God and by all the people to be powerful in everything he said and did. Our chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and he was crucified. And we had hoped that he would be the one who was going to set Israel free Besides all that, this is now the third day since it happened. Some of the women of our group surprised us. They went at dawn to the tomb, but could not find his body. They came back saying they had seen a vision of angels who told them that he is alive. Some of our group went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, 
How foolish you are, how slow you are to believe everything the prophets said. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and then to enter his glory? And Jesus explained to them what was said about himself in all the scriptures beginning with the books of Moses and the writings of the prophets. As they came near to the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they held him back, saying, Stay with us, the day is almost over and it is getting dark. So he went in to stay with them. He sat down to eat with them, took the bread and said the blessing. Then he broke the bread and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, wasn't it like a fire burning in us when he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? They got up at once and went back to Jerusalem where they found the eleven disciples gathered together with the others and saying, the Lord is risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. The two then explained to them what had happened on the road and how they had recognised the Lord when he broke the bread. Before I come to speak, will you join me as together we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us for our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. One of the easiest and perhaps most tempting things for preachers to do is to tell people what to do and how to do it. In other words, to try and give people ready-made, one-size-fits-all solutions to their life's problems. But the truth is, very rarely does the gospel actually tell us exactly what to do in every situation. And that's because the Bible in general does not work like a how-to manual for life. Instead, it offers us stories. And these stories are not designed to be data banks of information that we simply, if you like, Google for life's answers. Because the Bible is not a map of life. It works more like a compass for living. And when we take the time to reflect on these stories, the stories that we read, we find that what they offer us more often than not are open-ended compass questions. Compass questions that help us to orientate ourselves, to find our way back home, if you like, to the healing and restoration that God offers and we so long for. Luke's account of the Emmaus Road encounter is one such story. It's a story that doesn't give us answers. Rather, it raises questions that invite reflection. If we let the story it will act like a compass 
that helps us to orientate ourselves. It's a story that if we have lived for any length of time, we will recognize because it's a story of shattering and restoration. It's a story, if you like, of inner healing that took place over the breaking of bread. If your life has ever been shattered, then this is your story. If your life has ever been restored, then this is your story. If you've ever found yourself in that place between shattering and restoration, then this is your story. Because within this story is a pattern that describes the journey, if you like, from Jerusalem to Emmaus and back to Jerusalem. It's a journey that Cleopas and his friend are taking. It's a journey that some of us have taken and perhaps are taking or will take. Now, I'm obviously not talking about a literal journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. I'm talking about them, if you like, as archetypes that help us to become more self-aware and to discover the fullness of God, goodness, to discover ourselves and others and the world. There is a Jerusalem and an Emmaus within us all, and it gets enacted within us and our living more often than perhaps we realized or recognized. Let me explain. Jerusalem. Have you ever felt like you just wanted to get away from your life? Or that perhaps life has given you more than you can handle and you just want to run away? Have you ever been deeply disappointed, left with nothing but unmet expectations? A time when your world has been turned upside down and you have been left feeling lost and disorientated, finding yourself wondering, what now? What am I going to do now? Can you remember times when you did everything right and life still didn't work out the way you planned and hoped? Have you ever found yourself grieving the death of a dream or the loss of a loved one? And with that dream and with that loss of that loved one, a loss of identity and a sense of future. In other words, has your life ever been shattered? If so, you know what it feels like to be Cleopas and his companion. It is Easter morning and Cleopas and his companion are leaving Jerusalem. And who can blame them? It's a place for them of so much pain, so much confusion, so much sorrow, and so much loss. It's a place where their dreams died, a place of so many unmet expectations, a place where their lives, their hearts were shattered and broken. No one wants to stay in those kind of places. As they walk away, They walk away talking about their pain. They're trying to process their confusion about all the things that didn't happen. They are talking about the message and ministry and death of Jesus of Nazareth, about all the hopes that didn't materialize, about all their unmet expectations. They are disappointed and they are sad. 
Jesus was the one that they had placed all their hopes for the future in. And now he's dead. And it feels like a part of them died with him. And now they just needed to get away from Jerusalem. Get away from the place where their lives have been shattered. Have you ever been there, friend? And what about Emmaus? I don't know why they went to Emmaus, but I have known times when I wanted to get away to places like Emmaus. Times when any place was a better place to be. To be anywhere but in Jerusalem. And Emmaus was their place of escape from their life, from their pain, from their confusion. Or so they thought. What Cleopas and his friend didn't know is that Emmaus would also be the place where they would find a way back to life. I don't think it was brokenness that took them to Emmaus. It was a longing for healing, a hunger for wholeness. In a sense, it was not the shattering that took them to Emmaus. It was the longing for restoration, the desire, desire for something more. You know, as human beings, we are by nature hungry. And hunger, what I mean by hunger, is something that it can be more than a physical longing. It can also be a spiritual and a psychological longing. We hunger for life, whether we realize it or not. We know that we hunger for love, for wholeness, for comfort and community. We know that better than we have ever known it before. And that hunger, if you like, that longing, is why Cleopas urged Jesus, please stay with us. Jesus would not only stay, he would feed their hunger. Their guest, in a sense, would become their host. When Jesus was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. It was then that their eyes were opened. The one they saw in Jerusalem, the one that they saw die there, was now eating with them in Emmaus. They saw the one that they had hoped he would be, but in a strange way, not the way that they expected him to be. Jesus, when he does this, wasn't just giving them bread. He was, in a sense, giving them back themselves, giving them back their lives. This was their restoration. It's, now, here's the thing. When Jesus broke the bread, something in them broke open. And with that breaking open, their lives were put back together. Despite how it feels, our brokenness, whatever caused it, wherever we are in it, is not our end. It's just our beginning. You see, they had seen him broken, seen his body shattered, shattered by human cruelty. But now, now he was back in a bigger, different and more powerful way. His brokenness, if you like, his shattering was actually the breaking open of new life for them and for all of us. And through it, and through their own shattering, 
they discovered a new way of seeing God and his purposes. And yet, as soon as they recognized him, he vanished from their sight. Where do you think he went? Was he abandoning them again? Was he playing mind games with them? Like, now you see me, now you don't? It says that at the very moment, that very moment, they got up and they went back to Jerusalem. Remember what I said? Jerusalem to Emmaus and back to Jerusalem. They returned to the place from where they had fled, the place they had only recently been so eager to get away from. But now Jerusalem was not just a place of death, it was also the place of life. It was not only the place of their greatest sorrow, it was now the place of their greatest joy. It was not only the place of a shattering, it was also, in a sense, the place of their restoration. Cleopas and his companion arrive with the news of what had happened to the Emmaus, only to discover that others have had similar experiences. Jesus was alive. He has been seen. He has been embraced. And others have also eaten with him. We flee from our Jerusalems, the place of our shattering, of our losses and our pain, only to discover that God brings us back to them. And returning with him, we discover that it is there that healing and restoration waits for us. We return like Cleopas to find that Jesus is already there. And with him helping us, we learn to reclaim the lost pieces of ourselves. The place may have, has not changed, but we have. Jerusalem, Emmaus, Jerusalem. Shattered lives, broken bread, restored lives. That is so often the pattern. But I'm not claiming for one moment that it is simple or as easy as it sounds. It's one thing to name a pattern. It's another thing to live it. It takes time and effort. It means trusting him with the shards of our shattered lives that somehow in his hands become the new pieces of a new life. So let me finish with some questions for you. Where have you seen this pattern in your life? How have you experienced it or are you experiencing it? What are you running from today? Where are you running from? Are you leaving Jerusalem? Or perhaps you're in Emmaus or on the way. Or perhaps you are returning to Jerusalem. Now think for a moment. What is your Jerusalem? Is it still a place only of sorrow? Or is it, because of Jesus, becoming a place of restoration? Where is your Emmaus? What brought you there? There are no right or wrong answers to these questions. There is only your answer. But let me leave you with this thought. Jesus was always in Jerusalem. He was there before Cleopas and his friend left. And yet he was also with them on the road to Emmaus, and he was with them in Emmaus.
He was there in Jerusalem when they returned to the place of their shattering and of their restoration. That's a pattern, friend. And it's as true for them and it is true for us. God bless you. Friends, as we pray the prayer of intercession, I just this morning would like to focus on the need that each and all of us have and those whom we now have for inner healing, for the restoration of hearts and minds and souls, for recovery from shattering and the restoration of lives that perhaps in times have been broken in different ways for different reasons. So will you pray with me? Lord, you are called Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. You are also known as Eliashib, the God who restores. You know all of us and you know all of our burdens. We lay them before you, before you, our good shepherd. You come to heal our wounded and shattered lives and broken hearts, to restore our broken spirits, and for that we thank you. We thank you that your healing words ease the torments that cause anxiety in our hearts. We ask especially for you to heal us and those we care about and know of those intimate inner wounds that so often cause physical illness. Yours is a mercy that heals all of the self-inflicted wounds that have been caused by our sins and our sinning. And so we turn to you, merciful God, and ask you to heal us of all those wounds that have provoked sin in our lives. Help us for our own sake and for the sake of those to forgive those who have sinned against us. Lord, we also ask that you would heal us and all that we know whose hearts are marked with the raw heart wounds that have been caused by the death of those they love. Grant that they, together with us, might know the restoring peace and the healing joy that comes from knowing that you, Lord, are the resurrection and the life. This morning, Father, we invite you into all the broken places within us, asking you to come and lead us in healing from these wounds. Father, come and restore us, restore what was broken by our shattering. Restore to us the joy of your salvation so that we may go out and speak that joy to others who so badly need it. Thank you, Good Shepherd, for restoring us this morning. All these things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Saviour.
Amen. And now, friends, let me pronounce the benediction over you, the blessing of God over you and yours. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip each and all of you with every good thing for doing his will. And may he work in you what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all.